get started. I haven't really been up here, so who knows how it goes. Um, so we're going through uh, Genesis 8. Um, tr- we're going to tell it <clears throat> trusting in God at all times. Um, before, before we start, let's open up in a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, we're just uh, very thankful that we come before you and study your word. Lord, let's pray that you open up our hearts, ears, our minds to receive it. Uh, ultimately, that may we always serve you and bring you glory at all times, whenever times are good and when times are bad. May we remember you all of our days and our lives. So we just commit this time to you in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Um, the funny thing is, I, you know, when, when I first came in here, I saw all the people here. I was like, whoa, that's a lot of people. And so when like half of the room left, I'm like, all right, cool. That's much, that's much better. Um, so last week when Derek spoke on uh, Judges 7, right, he kind of, you guys remember, he kind of alluded to, he used some terminology that kind of was about the Warriors, right? The Golden State Warriors, right? So that was pretty cool. And I, was, I think we're going to continue that theme today. Uh, any Warriors fans there? Yeah? I mean, I hope there are some so that these slides won't offend you or anything like that, okay? So let, let's take a little bit, let's take a little memory trip down memory lane uh, about the Warriors, okay? You guys may recognize some of the players, or you know, if they're, if they're too old that you may not recognize them. Okay, recognize any of these? Okay, Bill recognizes them, all right. Can you tell me who they are? I'm not that old, right? What? No. Chris Mullen, right? You got Chris Mullen, Mitch Richmond. And tomorrow, right? Um, they were run TMC, okay? And, you know, they, they kind of start the whole small ball movement, and, you know, guys get really excited, right? So as time progressed, right, we went to different teams. We had, like, you guys remember Spreewell? Chris Weber, Billy Owens, right? And, you know, so they gave us some excitement for those teams, right? But with any team that goes up on a rise, what else happens? You're going to get a fall as well, right? You remember these guys? I mean, some of them were like an embarrassment in the league, right? Um, I, I, the funny thing is I, I was looking that through some of the rosters between the 96 to 97 era, I had no idea we even had these people, you know, like Bobby Sura or something like that. Like, who the heck is this guy, right? But, you know, when you get to a low, eventually you're what? You come back up, right? And we would get to, to have teams, right, where we, we had the We Believe slogan, right? And we really believed that they were going to win it. They're going to win something, right? But unfortunately, they didn't, okay? And with that team, they kind of faded out, and then we went for a little bit of a dip, right? And then 
we finally had some really good teams, right? We had these guys, okay? And then eventually one day we had a really good team because we had an additional really good player who's gone now, right? Um, And so you could kind of see that, you know, with these teams, they kind of go through dips, go through rises, they come and go, and, you know, I, I personally, if you ask me, I think we're going to, don't, don't throw tomatoes at me, I think we're going to go through a dip. No, okay. <laughs> That's just me. Um, but with any, any, you know, era, right, of going up and going down, you pretty much put them on a, on a timeline, right? Uh, you start from somewhere, and then you go to somewhere else, right? And you see the different stages of the teams, okay? And so this is kind of how we're going to segue into our lesson today. So just as the Golden State Warriors have a timeline, so does Israel, right? Israel has a timeline as well with their judges, okay? And if we look at the history of Israel, we see that they go through a, you know, good times and bad times as well, right? Uh, whenever they, go th- they start with a bad time because, you know, they're doing something silly, right? God appoints a judge, right, to get them out of it, to deliver them, okay? And then after the judge passes, right, guess what they do? They fall back into their own destruct- destructive ways, their sinful ways, right? And... We are right now, so we, we went through Neo, Ehud, a little, I think there was one verse on Shemgar, uh, we had Deborah, and now we're at Gideon, okay? And with Gideon, okay, there's not chronological the scale, okay, but this kind of gives you an idea of, you know, as we're approaching Gideon now, okay? The, the main pattern here, if you see it, is that Israel turns away from God, right? And they turn to idols, okay? And God turns Israel to oppression from all those other nations. And eventually, through that, Israel turns back to God. They cry for help, okay? And therefore, God has to raise up a judge, okay, to deliver them. If we do a little quick review, okay? If you guys remember uh, our series. Chapter 1, okay, they were fighting with the Canaanites. Uh, they had some initial success. Okay. When we go to chapter 2, that's where Israel is rebuked. Uh, uh, Israel served Baal for eight years, and this is where God raises up judges. In chapter 3, this is where we have our first judge, okay? Uh, he gives us, he gives Israel 40 years of peace, okay? Uh, and when he dies, Israel, you know, they forget everything, okay? And they serve Moab for 18 years. And so therefore, Ehud, the second judge, comes up, and remember, he's the one that killed that fat king, right? Poked it in, couldn't even find it. So... 
After that, they get 80 years of peace. And if you could guess it, well, eventually Ehud dies, okay? And Jabin, the Canaanite king, conquers them, right? And therefore, Deborah, the third judge, has to rise up and defeat Jabin. So you kind of see the same old pattern over and over and over, right? Eventually, oh, sorry, chapter 5, we get the song of Deborah and Barak, Barak and you know, that gives him 40 years of peace. But after they're gone, well, guess what? We get the same thing. Israel falls away. The Midianites invade. Uh, they, they plunder the land and all. We get seven years of oppression, and Gideon is called up. Let me ask you guys a question. Who is Gideon? Do you guys remember? Who is Gideon? Right, you guys have been going through this for a couple of weeks now, right? Uh, through chapters 6 and 7. You guys remember who Gideon is? Well, we understand that he's one of the judges, right? That's, that's risen up. His name means cutter or cutter of trees, okay? What do you remember any characteristic about Gideon in the beginning phases, right? How was he like? Was he super strong, ready to go, ready to go to war? Not so much, right? He was really timid. He was kind of, you know, not sure about what God wants him to do, right? Uh, you know, some of the things that was hindering him was, you know, his faith, his assurance. But he was always a willing servant, right? He was a warrior. He was a strong leader. But he always wanted reassurance from God, okay? And one of his greatest assets was trusting in God at all times, Okay? or at least in the beginning, from what we saw. If you remember from uh, chapter, I think it was 6 or 7, okay, uh, he destroyed the altar of Baal by God's command, right? You know, to, to do something like that, you're, you're almost like trying to pick a fight with the playground bully, right? I mean, these people, the Midianites and the uh, Amalekites. You know, they're in charge here, right? They're in control of the land. And, you know, for, them to, for him to pull a little stunt like that, you're, you're, you're basically asking for trouble, right? It's almost like a suicide run. But God commands what he commands, right? And th- that's the most important thing. So do you guys remember what Gideon does before he gets ready to go to war with them? He asks for a sign. Right? Remember that sign he asked was from a fleece? Okay? The first part he asked, you know, if you, if you could make the fleece wet, but the, around it, the ground dry, okay? and I'll believe you. Okay? And so God does that. Right? And then he's still not totally sure. So he goes, well, if you make the, reverse it, make the ground wet, okay? and make the fleece dry, and I'll believe you. Right? So he has a little doubt with God, right? but Notice here, and remember this here, okay? God has patience with him, okay? God doesn't just fling him away, say, you're no good to me, 
okay? He has patience with him, and he's still going to use him, okay? So keep that in the back of your head. In chapter 7, this is where we, or Derek talked about, you know, uh, Gideon's 300 chosen men, and when they fight, there's that confusion of the enemy, okay? Any of you remember how many troops he started out with? Anyone? Three, 3,000? 10,000? He started out with 32,000. Okay? He said, I'm going to have 32,000 troops. And God says, take 22,000 away. Okay? So now you're down to 10,000. Right? And through that, uh, I think it was you no know, drinking at the water, right? Where he, you could see which troops are better and which ones you get rid of, right? So from 10,000, he goes down to what? He goes down to 300, right? So from, from 32,000 all the way down to 300, that's less than 1% of the original number, okay? And he's basically God saying that, okay, with less than 1% of the original number, I want you to go to war, okay? That is faith, Right, to take that little bit, little bit of three hundred people to go to war against thousands. Right, it, it, it's almost like you know, as if if the warriors had more faith or something like that. You know, when when all their injuries were mounting up, right, and maybe they could take them on, take the raptors on, right. But let's take a look at this one verse in chapter seven. Let's read that. Judges 7, 9. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. Okay? That's like saying, you don't have Curry, you don't have KD, you don't have Draymond, you don't have Clay, but you're going to win the series. Okay? You're going with the, you're going with the bare bone bench of whoever is all in the 15th, 16th seat or whatever, right? Or 12th, sorry. And you're going to win with that dude all in the, in the 12th position, okay? And that is some faith that Gideon has, right, to go up against the Midianites. And the thing about the enemy is that they're, they're, they're not like, you know, oh, just, a, you know, some weak enemy, right? I mean... If if we if you take a, open up your Bible uh, to chapter seven, if you look at chapter seven, verse twelve, right, it says now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley, as numerous as locusts, their camels were without number, as numerous as sand on the seashore, right? That's a lot of them, okay? I mean, it wasn't like this one little plot, patch of troops or something like that. We're, we're talking thousands upon thousands of troops, okay? And we're going to take 300 of your guys to go up against them, right? But if you read on, if you remember, right, for those 300 troops, right, how did they take out the enemy, I mean, was it with swords and shields? 
uh, I don't know, tanks, fighter jets, bombs, missiles, or something like that? No. They had none of that kind of stuff, right? All they had was the provision of God. Okay? They trusted in God, no matter what. They had several advantages. If you look right here in Judges 7, 13, um, actually, I'll read for you 13 and 14. When Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend, and he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of media, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent laid flat. Verse 14, his friend replied, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, uh, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. Right. So right off the bat, okay, you, you kind of see their psychological state. Okay? You, you can't really go into a fight thinking that you're going to lose, right? And so, you know, God gives them this dream to really mess with their psychological state. So they're already on the edge, okay? They're kind of like fighting scared, okay? This, in turn, gave Gideon courage, okay? And if you also looked at uh, verse 12, 10 and 12, okay? They, 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 Gideon might have had a tactical advantage in position, okay? Because the enemy, they were down in the valley, Okay, and when they went to the camp, they went down into the camp, right? So they were probably on some higher higher ground. Okay, um, and that's fine, you know, that that's cool. That that gives them an advantage. But what is their number one advantage? Who's on their side? God is on their side, right? And when God is on their side, everything else goes out the window. Okay. That's the best advantage that you could, anyone can have. Okay? And so, you know, with their clanging of uh, empty pictures and lighting of torches and blaring of trumpets, right, they, they cause this big, fat confusion with, uh, to the enemy, right? Um, there's this thing called, any of you guys play StarCraft? Or played StarCraft. Or don't 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 be ashamed. I played it. When whenever you start the game, okay, and you don't type in some cheat code, can you see what the enemy's doing? The, can you like like the Zerg or whoever? Can you see what they're doing? No, you cannot. Right. This thing is kind of called the fog of war, right? Where you really don't know what they're doing, right? And so you don't know whether they're building or they're coming to bum rush you or, you know, or, or they're just keep on getting ready to, to do something else, right? And so with that, you know, they, they start their attack at midnight, okay, when everyone is sound asleep. So this is a real good uh, surprise attack, okay? And, you know, with, with the 300 people just clanging and making noise and all, right, perhaps... Maybe they, the, the Midianites thought, well, those were just the tip of the spear, right? Maybe they're just the first part of the waves 
of, of Israelites to come to attack them, right? So maybe in their mind, they're thinking, well, maybe an even bigger uh, group of people is coming, right? But nonetheless, you know, the, everyone's on the edge, right? Uh, everyone is sound asleep, and all of a sudden, there's just this mass confusion, okay? Also, remember, because it's at night, there's a lack of visibility, okay? You don't know what's going on. It's not like back in the days they had night vision goggles or anything like that, right? And remember, they also had, what, lots and lots of camels, okay? So with all that confusion, right, what do you think the camel's going to do? Stay asleep? No. They're probably going crazy, starting up a stampede, right? So now there's even more confusion started, okay? Um, and, And if you don't really understand confusion, right, any of you guys heard on the news what happened at uh, Great America over the July 4th weekend or around that time? You guys see the news? What happened? There's a shooting. Okay, someone actually brought some guns in, started shooting up the place. Okay, and if you look on, uh, on YouTube or whatever and f- look for it, right, you see all these people running around scared, right? They don't know what's going on, Okay. They don't know where the gunshots are coming from. I remember I saw people just running around and tripping over and falling over, right? And whenever there was a gunshot that rang out, they would all just get down on the ground, right? Because they don't know where the bullet's coming from. And I remember I saw this one guy dragging his kid along, and he's just, like, falling over the place. And, you know, it's just total fear at that point, okay? So this is probably what's going on. There's total chaos in their camp, the enemy camp, Right? And, you know, we understand that, you know, they, they even use the sword on themselves, right? Because they don't know, you know, in the darkness, they don't know who's who, okay? So through God's provision, right, that whole part of the battle, you know, the Israelites win, okay? And it's really a big turn of events, right? Because here they are, they were, you know, taking charge of Israel, and now they're on the run. Okay, and where does all this come from? It all comes from trusting in God, right? Trusting in God. So they cross over the Jordan River and slay two of the leaders, and the fighting goes on. So we get to chapter 8. Okay. And in chapter 8, we actually start to see a change of things, right? Remember, we, we looked at the warriors' timeline, right, when their teams that rose up, right, and they peaked out, and they won champions. Well, guess what? Now that you peaked out, you're going to start coming down. And we're going to see a little bit, little bit of that with Gideon, okay? It is when we stop trusting in God. At all times. What happens when we stop trusting in God? Right? Let's read. Let's read verses 1 through 3. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this thing that you have done, not calling us when you went to, the, went to fight against Media or Median? And they contend with him vigorously, 
But he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning grapes of gleaning grapes gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Ebenezer? God has given the leaders of Media, Oreb and Zeb, into your hands. And what is I able to do in comparison to you? Then their anger towards him subsided. And when he said that, okay, so. The men of Ephraim, they're a little butt hurt because they weren't called to the fight. Okay? Uh, the, the reality of it is that God didn't need more troops. Okay? Um, Gideon kind of you know, diplomatically diffused the situation. Uh, he reminded them the spoils of war right? after they defeated the Midianites. Right? That's the vintage. Okay? That's kind of like a bronze medal. Okay? He also reminded them that you know, the spoils of the two Midianite commanders, Oreb and Zeb. And he says it right there with the gleaning. Okay? That's kind of like a silver meadow. Okay? So he does a little bit of smooth talking with them, right? a little flattering with them. Right? But the interesting thing here is you start to see him, you see him appeal to them through psychology rather than theology. Okay? Uh, you know, he should have told them, God said, I don't need more troops, right? Um, but he men- doesn't pay any, make any mention to God giving him the victory, right? He's like, telling the, he's like telling them that, hey, guys, you got the bronze medal and silver medal already, right? Isn't that good enough? Okay. When he himself, what he really wanted was the gold medal, the glory of it all. And what was the gold medal? The gold medal was to finish off the two Midianite kings. Okay? He wanted to do that himself. So this is almost kind of like a turning point for Gideon. Right? You know, unfortunately, the things that we read in chapter 6 and 7 that you know, made him uh, you know, like a faithful warrior, right? we start to see the cracks now that you know, he, he's kind of turning away. Right? When in chapter six and seven, you know, he was kind of like a timid person that turned into a fearless, God-obeying warrior, right? Uh, he was able to confront and take down his enemies. Um, chapter eight here, we start to see him increasingly become a little more self-serving. Okay, he becomes a little more prideful, uh, and in the end, you see that he becomes actually more paganish. Okay. Let's read um, verses 4 through 9. Then Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the Jordan, crossed it over, weary but yet pursuing. He said to the men of Sukkoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who are following me, for they are weary. And I am pursuing Zabath and Zamuna, the kings of Medea, Median. Can't pronounce that. The leaders of Sukkoth said, "Are the hands of Zebath and Zamuna already in your hands that we should give bread to your army?" Gideon said, "All right. That when the Lord has given me Zebath and Zamuna into my hand, then I will thrash your bodies with thorns of the wilderness and with bears." He went up from there to Penuel. Penuel and spoke similar to them. And the men of Penuel answered him, saying, 
answer him just as the men of Sukkoth had answered. So he also to the men of Penuel, saying, When I return safely, I will tear down your tower. Wow, so angry. So we have a little map here that kind of shows you uh, where they were, where they're going, okay? Um, you know, his troops are exhausted or tired, but they're, they're still going to push on, okay? And they, they go through those two towns of Sukkoth and Penuel. Uh, and, you know, these two towns don't show them much hospitality, right? And part of it, you know, it's understandable because they're on the east side of the Jordan River, okay? And so that's all Canaanite territory. And so maybe they had relationships or some alliance set up with the Canaanites and, you know, they, they didn't want to fight. And you know, that's, I get it, right? And Gideon just wanted their support, okay? They, he didn't want them to fight with them. He just needed some help. And they weren't going to give it to him. So he said, all right, fine. When I come back, right, I'm going to give you guys a whooping, Okay? So you see that his response, right, is really a lot of vengeance in it, right? Like, like he said, when I return safely, I'm going to tear down this tower, okay? Man, he needs some anger management or something. Let's read verse 10. Now, Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their enemies with them. About 15,000 men, all who were left of the entire enemy of the sons of the east, for the fallen were 120,000 swordsmen. Gideon went up by the way of those who lived in tents on the east of Noba and Jogbeha and attacked the camp when the camp was unexpected. When Zeba and Zamuna fled, he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, and Zeba and Zamuna and routed the whole army. It's really interesting here because if you take a look at the first, the, the, if you compare the first campaign to the campaign that he's doing right now, okay, we see some differences. In the first campaign, he was under the guidance of God. Okay? He was under the direction of God. There's God involved. Okay? In this second campaign, it's more of him selling a personal score. Okay? There's not really much mention of God here. The interesting thing is, if you didn't read chapter 6 and 7, and you only read chapter 8, you would have thought this guy was some merciless, ravaging warrior or something like that, just chopping people down left and right. Right, and so we we understand right earlier when I said you know you got things that are going up and things going down. Chapter six and seven are him rising, okay, and chapter eight it starts to go down. The question is, is he starting to forget about God, right? Once you start forgetting, once you start to forget about God or not trusting Him, trusting in Him, what do you think is going to happen? What happens to your life when you, start, when you stop trusting in God? Your life starts to go in a downward spiral, okay? 
might be go down fast, might go down slow. Uh, in Gideon's case, uh, it's kind of going down slow. Okay. So the thing with him is, you know, he used to be a humble warrior that could take down an entire army, and now he just he just wants to do things his way, right? Uh, he doesn't consult with God, right? Nowhere here do you see him asking God for a sign, right? When he asks for a sign for that fleece, so you start to see his pride coming out, okay? As he looks to himself for assurance. So going back to the map, right? Uh, Gideon pursues the remaining uh, troops, and he catches them by surprise again. And perhaps they didn't expect him to go that deep into their territory, right? There's 20 miles east of the Jordan River. So he attacks them at Karkor, and he captures the two, the two kings there, okay? Let's read verses 13 to 17. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle by the ascent of Heres, and he captured a youth from Sukkoth and questioned him. Then the youth wrote, wrote down for him the princes of Sukkoth and his elders, 77 men. He came to the men of Sukkoth and said, Behold, Zuba and Zamuna, concerning whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zamuna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are weary? Right? You see his attitude here? Right? He has this, like, really, like, like kind of like show-off attitude. Like, oh, yeah, you, you said I can't do this? Well, here they are now. Right? He took the elders of the cities and thorns of wilderness and bears and disciplined the men of Sukkoth with them. And then, verse 17, he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Okay? So as he's coming back right from Karkor, right, he, he, he remembers, you know, all the things that those people said to him. He goes back to those towns, right, and almost like to say, remember me? Remember when you taunted me, when you doubted me? Well, here I am, and I'm going to deliver you the punishment. In terms of the punishment, um, it was deserved, okay? It, it was just, uh, because even though these two towns were in Canaanite, uh, territory, it was still uh, God's own people in there. It was still Israelites. Okay, so you you have to understand that you know because they didn't help God's appointed judge, right? That's a serious offense. Okay, and for him to give out punishment is also to show others that hey, this is what happened when you don't you know help out God's appointed judge. Okay, but. If you kind of see what he does, right, it's a little bit reckless. It's a little bit impatient, right? Um, clearly, he has changed, right? Uh, he punishes the leaders of both towns, and he said he was going to destroy the tower, but you notice what he also does, kill the men of the city, right? I mean, now, now he's kind of like out of control now, okay? He's going overboard now, okay? He's, his job is to destroy the enemy, not his own people, okay? 
So the interesting thing here is, you know, in, in, in seeing the, how the people doubted him, okay, for their doubt in Gideon, he punished them. But if you ask, if you look back at chapter 6, when he doubted God, did God punish him? No. God still had patience with him, Right? So, obviously, he didn't learn his lesson there, right? And, again, you know, he's forgetting about God. He's taking things into his own hands, thinking that he's in control, okay? And he never consulted God about this, right? So, again, we're seeing this downward spiral of him. Let's read uh, verses 18 to 21. Then he said to Zeba and Zamuna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? And they said, They were like you, each one resembling the son of a king. He said, They were my brothers, the son of my mother. As the Lord lives, if only you had let them live, I will not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them. But the youth did not draw his sword because he was afraid, because he was still a youth. Then Zeba and Zamuna said, Rise up yourself and fall on us. As for the man, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zamuna and took the crescent ornaments which were on the camel's neck. So evidently, Gideon's brother was probably killed by the Midianites uh, in a previous raid. Okay? And he was going to show them mercy uh, if they did not kill his brother. So perhaps he was, his brother was murdered. Okay? But the interesting thing here, he tells his son, I want you to kill them. Okay? That kind of an act, right, was to humiliate them, okay? Because I, I guess back in those days, to be killed by a youth or killed by a woman was a great disgrace, okay? So he really wanted to make shame them, okay? It's like, you know, if you're up by 30 points and you're still going down for that slam dunk, you know, now you're just rubbing it in people's face, right? You're just running up the score, So since the boy didn't do it, he did it himself, and he killed him. So the median domination of Israel ended there. Okay? Along with their deaths, he also took those valuable ornaments that were fit for a king. Okay? Let's take a look at 22 to 27. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's son, for you have delivered us from the hand of Median. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Yet Gideon said to them, for, I, well, excuse me, I would request of you that each of you give me an earring from his spoil. For they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, we'll surely give it, we'll surely, we will surely give them. So they spread out a garment, and every one of them threw an earring there for, from his spoil. The weight of the golden earrings 
that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple robes, which were on the kings of Media. And beside the neckbands, they were on their camel's neck. Gideon, went in, Gideon made it into an ephod and placed it in a city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there, so that it became a snare to Gideon and his household. So the nation of Israel wanted him to be a king, okay? and you know, wisely he declined it. Right? He understood that God is the real king. Okay? Um, but the interesting thing about him is that even though he, did, he said that he didn't want to be a king, he acted. He sure acted like a king. Okay? His words were humble, but his actions were not. And as a matter of fact, you know, he forged an epod, which looks like this. Okay, it's kind of like a chest plate uh, or, or a shirt or like a garment over your chest, okay? And he put it out in full display, okay? Now, you have to ask yourself, knowing that the people of Israel, right, they are bound to stumble with idols, right? What do you think putting out something like that there is going to do to them? You think it's going to help them or it's going to harm them? It's mostly going to harm them, right? Because now they're probably going to say, oh, hey, look, we got this new shiny little thing right here that looks good and we're going to probably worship it, right? So when you have, an, when you have a leader acting like that, okay, acting not as he should be acting, right? What do you think his followers would do when, he, when, when the leader falls? They're just going to fall with him, right? Let's read on and see kind of like uh, the latter parts of his life. Let's read uh, verses 28 through 32. So Medean was subdued before the sons of Israel, and they did not lift up their heads anymore. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years, right? Then Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, that's Gideon, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons who were his direct descendants, for he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son. And his name was Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a ripe old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Okay. So they get to enjoy 40 years of peace. That's good, right? But his actions, right? Even though his victory paved way for 40 years of peace, his ultimate actions will pave way for destruction that we will see in chapter 9 later on. Okay? It's almost kind of like a twisted version of King David and his son Absalom, kind of. Okay? So keep Abimelech in the back of your minds. right? Because I, I don't know who's speaking next week, but we'll get to him. And then we'll see 
what goes on over there is really twisted and just messed up, okay? His practice of polygamy, right, with many wives and concubines, right, those are a practice of a pagan king, okay? We know that. So basically, he doesn't really end his life well, right? Not one that really glorifies God, okay? So when he dies, what do you think is going to happen? Everything's going to come crashing down again, just like what we have seen before in the past timelines, right? Verse 33 to 35. Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the balls and made Baal-bereth their god. Here we go again, right? Thus the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the household of Jerubal, that's, that is Gideon, in accord with all the good that he had done to Israel. So the whole vicious cycle starts all over again. Right? You have one person that led them to victory, and that same person leads them to destruction again. Right? It, it, it's almost like the warriors now. Now they don't have KD, and you know, Clay's out for a whole year or whatnot, and we got this, this dude called D'Angelo Russell, um, the thing is that you know the Golden State Warriors, they're they're just a sports team, okay? They're they're gonna you know come and go and you know whatever, right? They can win and they can lose as well. But if you are on God's team, right? You will only win, okay? If you decide to trust in Him. If you look at the history of Israel, right, we could see very clearly what happens when you trust in God, right, when you follow God, and what happens when you don't, right? And now that Gideon is gone, right, and for whatever stuff that he did, we know where is this going to head it. It's going to go down, Right? So really the question, the, the question here is, you know, what, what is the lesson, right? What am I to get out of all this, right? I think the, the answer is pretty obvious, right? We have to trust in God at all times, okay? Uh, and we, we, we see what happens when we don't trust in God, right? Um, and I just want to leave you with this. So, you know, we, we, we've seen... We've seen the ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, right? It's like a repeated pattern, right? Spoiler alert. There's like the whole entire Old Testament, you know? Um, and it's easy to look at them and go, man, you guys are stupid. How could you keep doing this over and over and over? Didn't you learn your lesson, right? Um, but the question is, you know, it's easy to point the finger at them, but what about you? Okay, I want you to ask yourself this question now, right? What vicious cycles are you going through, right? 
um, maybe it may be gossip or malicious lies about other people in fellowship. Maybe it's hatred against others at work or school, right? Or maybe, you know, a, a cycle that you're going through is you're struggling with sin on the internet, right? Or maybe you have a lack of grace and mercy for loss, right? And so I want you to kind of examine yourself tonight, right? Because, like I said, it's easy to look at other people and say, man, they're so dumb, right? And forget about yourself, okay? And here are the questions I really want to have you kind of ask yourself. Number one, how is your walk with your God? How is your walk with God? Okay? Everything starts there. Okay. Number two, what are you reading in the Bible these days? You can't know God if you don't spend time in the Word with Him. Right? Number three, what does God want you to do? What is the Holy Spirit in you telling you? Right? If you're struggling with some kind of sin and, and the Holy Spirit is telling you that, you know what, you need to stop this. Right? And you're like, dude, I don't want to listen. I just want to go in with the pleasures. Right? Then maybe you're not listening to God. Maybe you're not trusting God. And the last question is, for yourself, are you being honest? Right? You could tell any story you want anywhere in here, right? Or even lie to yourself. But guess what? You can't lie to God. He knows. He sees through to inside your heart. Okay? So, take some time to examine yourself, right? Um, you know, maybe you could talk to someone that you trust, that could keep you accountable, right? But really be honest with yourself, right? Be honest with God, okay? And, you know, hopefully, you know, throughout all the weeks that you come in and come out on Friday nights, right? You're, you're, that you're not just sitting here just, oh, hey, the food's great, you know, the food is great. Uh, I love hanging out with my friends. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the worship sounds great. That's great too, right? But ultimately, you know, I hope you're coming here so that you're learning more about God and that you're also glorifying Him and that you're growing in God, okay? That, that's the real plan, okay? Otherwise, we might as well be like some SFBC social club, right? And then we're not doing what's pleasing to God, right? Okay. So let's, let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Dear God, just thank you for your word. Uh, it, it, it's so convicting. And Lord, we get to see so many examples that, uh, you know, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, that we could learn from these lessons and we could find out, you know, what happened. And the more we dig into it, the more we learn. But God, I pray that, you know, it doesn't really go in one ear and out the other ear, you know, like into a vacuum, but it stays within our heart so that we remember to trust in you at all times. And we see the destruction when we don't trust in you, when we don't follow you, and we don't listen to your word. So God, just thank you again for tonight, and we pray all these things in your son's name. Jesus Christ, amen.